0: So grace is a gift. A gift is something that you didn't work for. You know, on your birthday, people come over, and they give you these gifts, but you really didn't do anything. Uh, You haven't accomplished really anything uh, to get these gifts. If anything, they should just give gifts to your mom every time it's your birthday. Uh, Just give her the gifts. But you didn't do anything. You get these gifts. Uh, A gift is free. Sometimes it's surprising most times it brings great joy. Uh, they should never come, a gift should never come with strings attached. Uh, I knew someone that every time they gave me a gift or a bit of their time uh, or lent something to me, they would say right after, okay, now you owe me. I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't want the gifts anymore, but... Uh, the gift of grace isn't like that at all. We desperately want it to be that way. We want to say, thank you, God. Now allow me to pay you back. I think that's our natural tendency, but we can't do it. The gift of God's grace is no ordinary gift. In fact, it is the most important gift that has ever been given. So let's say, let's say we were in school together and uh, you showed up. I don't know in, uh, well, actually, I don't know in high school, but in college, when I was in college, I was still writing with a pen and paper. Some people were using laptops. I don't know now if, if it's all laptops, but let's pretend that it's pen and paper still. So we're at school, and we're writing notes, but you forgot your pen. You don't have a pen. And I have an extra. I say, here, you can use my pen. And then after class, the, you go to give me the pen back, and I say, you know what? You keep it. It's my gift to you. You wouldn't get down on your knees and go, Thank you. Thank you so much. And tears in your eyes and just thank you for this pen. Why not? Because it's a very low value gift, a pen. Literally everybody has a pen in Canada. And if you don't, you can get one really easily. It's not really that great of a gift. Now, let's say you needed a blood transfusion and you can't find the blood that you need or whatever needs to happen there, but I can provide that blood for you. And I come in, and I give my blood in order that you may live. You would respond differently than when I gave you the pen gift, wouldn't you? You can obviously see the difference. Yet I fear, and this goes for myself too, that many of us treat the grace of God like a free pen. So if you look at verse 1, and you were dead in the trespass, trespasses and sins, this is a really important piece of this passage. And this is a great passage, by the way. I seem to get a lot of, of, a lot of the depressing stories and stuff. I don't know if Doug does it on purpose, Pastor Doug, uh, but I was really happy to see this one. Ooh, Ephesians 2, all right, now we've got something good here. Well, it's always good. Hopefully it's God's Word. Uh, so two weeks in a row, I'm going to use the exact same scene from the exact same movie. I'm sure it's a preacher's faux pas or something like that, but I'm going to do it anyway. The movie Princess Bride, there's that scene with Miracle Max played by Billy Crystal. Uh, they, bring, they bring Wesley in, kind of the hero, the main character. They bring him in to Miracle Max to, to help, you know, and uh, this is what he says. It just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. So let me assure you this morning that Ephesians 2 is making it very, very clear that we are all dead. We're all dead. Not mostly dead all dead. So what does it mean to be all dead? You have no hope. There's nothing you can do. In fact, there's nothing anyone can do. And I'm sure many of us here have people in your lives, people that you have lost, who have passed away, and that you would do almost anything to bring them back, even just for a day. You would be willing to pay a very high price to have a friend or a family member come back The price to be able to do something like that would have to be very high because the value is incredible. It's unheard of. It's extraordinary. So if we are dead, the price must be high to bring us back to life. And the cross starts to make sense. And grace costs something. It's not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living as incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Has anyone here actually been saved by someone, whether that was a medical thing or you fell off the edge of a cliff and someone grabbed you? Like literally, has anyone ever actually had their life saved? No one has. I was banking at least one person. Oh, okay. One, look at that, Micah. Good job, Micah. So what did it feel like? You don't actually have to answer, but, but it, did, it, did it change the way that you live? And, and I would guess that it would. If, you, if we know that we're dead and Jesus paid a high price so that we may live, how much should it change the way we live? If you are on death's door and someone saves you, it should really impact the way you live. It should transform everything. You can no longer look at others who have, have bigger failures than you and think you're better. If you remember David from last week, we are all capable of sin. We are all dead and we need a Savior. And how much more should we look to others and only share grace and only share mercy and forgiveness? After all, it has been given in such volume and velocity to us, that grace. How can we not share it with others? The cost of grace is so radical, it should change every aspect of your life. So if you truly know the cost, it changes everything. And you need to know, this sounds weird, you need to know how dead you are or how dead you were. Uh, if you think you're pretty good and you only need a little bit of Jesus... The gift doesn't seem so great. Maybe it seems more like a pen. If you know that you are 100% dead in the water, no hope whatsoever, the gift of grace is mind-blowing. And because of that, it changes the way you live. And how then should we live? What great joy should we be walking in? Are we actually living in that good news of God's grace in our lives? Or do we forget too often in the midst of the chaos that surrounds us? How would it feel if you got news that you have a terminal, you have terminal brain cancer and then the next day somehow you're miraculously healed and not only healed but they give you a hundred billion dollars, you know, there you go. Your entire life would be dramatically transformed going basically from death to life and a billion dollars, hundred billion dollars you're not only alive, but you have all of your needs cared for, taken care of, everything would change. The gift of God's grace, the gospel, is even better news than that. It's way better news. And I think it's easy to forget. So if you think about it, if you think, what is your greatest need today? And it can be, it can be a selfish thing. It's totally fine. It's like, oh, I just like a bigger house. Maybe that's not a selfish thing. Maybe you just need a bigger house. But Or you really want this or that or whatever, but you have a a real big need, and someone came to you and said, "You know what? I can meet that need for you. It's not going to cost you a thing, really. I'm just going to give it to you. Uh, I'll meet that need. At the very least, you would think that you would have just this deep joy." Uh, And and many of you know that my my father has had uh, chronic back pain as as long as I can remember. If someone said, look, I can heal that back pain, you'll be totally fine, you'll be pain-free, I can repair it, surely he would be filled with joy. It would transform things for him. He would be filled with joy to have that news. Maybe a little bit skeptical, but he would be full of joy. So receiving God's grace is one thing. And if we acknowledge the amazing grace that has been given to us when we accept Christ and we see how it plays out in our lives and given to us over time, then I think we're, we're kind of halfway there in a, in a sense. There's this other thing that's really difficult. This next step is extending that grace to others. And that can be really hard. You know, what if we disagree? <laughs> what if we disagree with each other? What if, what if someone says something mean about me? What if someone's actually going around town and talking about, yeah, Ben's just a big jerk, he's a big idiot, don't listen to that guy, Uh, do I still have to extend grace to them? And actually, this is just how it works, I guess, when you write sermons, but this last week, it's happened to me three times. (laughs) So three times, uh, and one of those times I went, all right, Lord, I don't don't know what to do anymore, you know, I'm done, you know, this is crazy, and... uh, and then I went, of course, that's how I should always be anyway, you know? It should always be, you know, Lord, I, I just need to trust in you anyway. But it was, I, I definitely felt like I was getting tested a few times. You're going to write a sermon about this? Well, you're going to also learn about it. So there's a couple times where, where, you know, a couple people said some mean things about me and went, okay, we're going to extend grace. I'm going to try to extend grace. Maybe didn't pass. But 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10 says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And I love the reminder in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> don't be a whiner, don't be a big grump about it. Don't badmouth your brother or sister. In fact, the Bible even tells us you got to love your enemies too, so really you don't have much to stand on here. God's grace is so amazing, we should show others a glimpse of that grace as well. So if you consider the story of the prodigal son, one son leaves his father and rebels, and one son is indignant when the other son is welcomed back. But what about the father? I think it's natural to find ourselves in the story of the prodigal son as one of the two sons. You know, we fit in that well. But we should also remember that we are to imitate the father. Henry now in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, says, It has taken me much spiritual work to make the elder son, as well as the younger son in me, turn around and receive that welcoming love of the Father. Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home. Not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. The gospel is acknowledging that we have the failings of the older son and the younger son within us, But we should strive to be like the Father. The Father who, with great joy, forgives, shows compassion, and welcomes others home into the kingdom. It's the words from God spoken through Nathan from last week to David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. I have given you everything. Why continue to rebel? Why continue to fight? Why hold on to anger? Why covet? Why compare yourself to others or think yourself better than others? Why not just live in the joy for the gift of God's grace? So back to the passage in verse 8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think we love to boast. We love to show others and tell others about our greatness. We love to stack ourselves up against others to make ourselves feel better. In uh, CrossFit, which I try to go to as much as I can, you do these crazy workouts, and you track your scores, and you track things as you get better to see how you're growing and improving, and every day there's a certain workout that you go through, and and there's a score for that, and you record it and all that kind of stuff, Uh, and then what the coach does at the end of the class is he asks everyone for their scores. He knows now to ask me later, because I'm trying not to die, and I'm trying to get my oxygen back to my body, so he lasts later, and, uh, and then he writes that score down on a big whiteboard, Ben, this is the weights he used, this is his score, there it is, right there. It's marked down on the wall with everyone else, and uh, <laughs> more often than not, but at least two times this week, I looked at the score, there were some other classes later that day, and I can see all their scores. And it's really easy to go, Ben, did worse than everyone, okay. <laughs> okay, worst score, Ben, twice this week, got it. So here's the temptation. So stupid, here's the temptation. I look at that board and I go, okay, I was slower than that, those people, but they used a lighter weight than I did. I lifted heavier, ha, <laughs> ha. Or... Or you, or you look at the score and you go, I was watching that guy. He cheated. He did not count the way that you're supposed to count. I know, I watched. Boy, what a stupid thing to do. Who cares? Who cares? So dumb. I have nothing to boast in. Not a single thing. I have nothing to boast in except for Christ. Lifting weights. Yikes. First Corinthians one thirty-one. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts... Boasts in the Lord. So good. The moment you say, I'm not that bad, or I'm not like them, or I'm better, or anything like that, is the moment you need to realize that you don't know what grace is. How any of us could look at anyone else's life and think that we are better, or that we can thank God that we're not like someone else, is just confounding to me. So if you look at Luke 18... Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. (laughs) just crazy. I couldn't imagine being in that room with that guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I feel like I've been humbled quite a bit the last couple weeks. And I think if you think through this, how would you finish this sentence? At least I'm not like... And it's easy to do, and hopefully we we don't. In Philippians 2, it says this Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, the one man in all of history who could boast, and even he chose not to do it. May the grace of God give us new eyes to see those around us. And in verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is just really, really exciting. I read this and I just get so excited. If that doesn't help you get out of bed in the morning, I don't know what will. We are created by God, and you have a purpose. You have been given us specific skills and talents and spiritual gifts to be used here and now. Every single one of us here is meant to be here. Everyone here is meant to be alive right now. You have a life that God has given to you to glorify him with, to serve him with. And it's so easy to get caught up in all sorts of good things that can slowly become the most important things in our lives. Things can take over. We forget that this purpose has been given to us. They, they slowly start to gravitate to the center, and they take over for that place where God is, where Jesus is. In the movie Cool Runnings, another one of my favorites, Irv Blitzer, who coaches the Jamaican bobsled team, played by John Candy, is asked by the main character, Doris Bannock, about a moral failure that he had as a coach in the past. And Doris asks him, why did he have to cheat to win? Why did you have to do it? And Irv says, it's quite simple, really. I had to win. You see, Darius, I made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you must keep on winning no matter what. A gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it, When that one thing isn't Jesus, we miss out on the beautiful gift of God's grace. We make something else the main thing, and we will never be satisfied. We need to be reminded of our, the daily activities that show us the grace of God. R.C. Sproul says, The merit of Christ comes to us by grace through faith. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is an action of disposition of God toward us. Grace is not a substance that can inhabit our souls. We grow in grace, not by a quantitative measure of some substance in us, but by the merciful assistance of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, acting graciously toward us and upon us. The means of grace God gives to assist us in the Christian life include Scripture, the sacraments, prayer, fellowship, and the nurture of the church. Have you ever considered that the Bible, prayer, church, and fellowship are God's grace to you? Does that not frame things in a different light for you? Perhaps reminds you of how important they should be in our lives? Saul takes on a leadership role for Israel that desperately needed one, but ultimately fails. David shows great promise and brings much hope and prosperity to Israel, but in the back half of his rule the wheels start to come off. We must remember that all leaders, all systems, all structures in our world will at best be a shadow of what we can see in Christ, our true King. Flannery O'Connor, who was a prolific storyteller, was a master at weaving grace into every one of her stories. And she writes this, or she wrote it. There is a moment in every great story in which the presence of grace can be felt as it waits to be accepted or rejected, even though the reader may not recognize this moment. It's the same in life as well. Is this the moment in your story this morning? Do you realize that you need God's gift of grace? So I think it's, it's always great to have preachers, but sometimes it's good to hear from a few other voices. So I want to end this morning just with a couple um, people. I invite Lorraine Barg and then after, we're going to hear from Dustin Campo, And I asked both of them, just briefly, to share with us how have, how have they experienced, how have they seen God's grace in their lives? How have they experienced that grace? So I'll just get the mic here for you, Lorraine. Thanks, Ben.
1: Those of you who do not know me, I'm going to give you the one-minute quickie. I was born in Grand Forks. And my, but my elementary years were in trail, but I returned here to go to high school. My dad bought a business here. In fact, Abe Martins was one of his apprentices. Yeah. After high school, I went to UBC, where I met my husband, Peter, and we were married 38 years. He died of uh, leukemia in 2003. We had three children, and they have produced eight grandchildren. I'm of Italian heritage, So I was raised in the Catholic Church, although I was in Grand Forks, I did not attend the Gospel Chapel. In the Catholic Church I learned about God and Jesus, but never about having a personal relationship with this God and about His amazing grace. I accepted Christ as an adult and was baptized in Langley, and I taught music in elementary school off and on for 35 years. In fact, some of my ex-students are here today. So how has grace affected me in the last few years? I have really needed it through the pandemic, as this change in our lives made our differences so evident. And it was hard to extend grace to those who believed so differently. I mean, why don't you believe like I do about the pandemic and the vaccines and everything? Why do you believe so differently? Uh, Jesus died for me and for each of us, and I have had to focus on the main thing. It is not my business to be the judge of anybody else, and I've had really hard lessons in that this year. I need his grace to remind me that he is the judge, and I have to keep my focus on him. My biggest challenge as a Christian is to let God be in charge. I give things to him, but I keep taking them back and fussing and stewing and worrying about it. I just finished a renovation of my main bathroom. I had a major leak between the top floor and the basement, and I had to take apart ceilings and walls in a house that is more than 100 years old, which means nothing is square level or otherwise. I really found this a challenge, because I need my house to be my sanctuary, and all of a sudden there's workmen running everywhere, and there's instead of flooring, I have taped down pieces of cardboard so people can walk back and forth. And my bed is in the middle of the hallway and this was very disruptive for me. I kept saying, Lord, this is your job. But when the window didn't arrive three weeks like was promised and took 12 weeks to come there, I must admit I was not very happy about it and I don't do well with gyprock dust in my teeth. I have really needed God's grace through this, and His grace is amazing. Two weeks before my whole family arrived, 15 of them, the bathroom was finished, two days. He finished the job in his timing, not mine. I am now officially older than dirt and past the best before date, as my friends remind me. But I still need God's amazing grace daily as I struggle with the challenges of life. I really appreciate people's testimonies, not necessarily mine. (laughs) I know that it is great to hear from people. And I hope that some of you will get some consolation by the fact that I need God every day, his amazing grace. Thank you.
2: Well, hello. So, I didn't know what to talk about. Surprising, hey? I've talked about so much. I think, um, like from Ben's message today, I think I need to speak on something recent. Um, Over the years, some of you know, but uh, me and my own father don't have a very good relationship. Um, It's been rough. Little tidbits here and there. I'm already starting. I shouldn't have went this way. But... um, You know, my past has a lot to do with it. He was a cop. Um, Some of you know my past. Others, if you want to know, I can speak to it later. But, yeah. Um, It's hard. Over the years, I've apologized lots for things that I thought I did wrong that I probably didn't and that he did. This is shaking. Um, Yeah, and yesterday, I actually read a book, a whole book. It was only 75 pages, but... It was the seasonhood of fatherhood. The seasonhoods of fatherhood. Um, And yeah, I yesterday just thought, this is what God's telling me to talk about. So for the past probably about year, we haven't talked, two years we haven't talked, and it's been a little bit rough. Um, In the last six months, I was praying super hard about it, and I wrote him a letter, and I told him how I felt, and I said, we're both acting childish. We shouldn't be doing this. But I know I have a bigger father than him, and reading in yesterday's book, saying that our children are gifts to us. So I thought, well, I'm a gift to my dad, aren't I not? But it doesn't feel like that a lot of the time, right? But I know that God has forgiven me. He's shown me grace in my life. He's given me three beautiful children and the best wife ever, who supports me every day with him, not talking to him. Uh, I actually had a family reunion this weekend that we were gonna go, but we decided not to, because for me and Heather, it wouldn't have been right not to just be there and he was there and not talk to him and see other people and not fake it. We don't like fake, me and Heather. (laughs) So I knew she um, was struggling super hard with it, and I decided that we shouldn't go because I don't wanna put her in that spot. And even though I've forgiven my dad. It's hard every day, but I know that I can show my kids the grace my dad didn't show me. Um, I know every day that I'm forgiven from somebody who loves me and always supports me. And it takes a while to, to accept that. Um, you know, I was going to say, have well, you ever watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? You know, that one episode where he's talking to Uncle Phil and he's saying, you know, my dad was never there. My dad was never there. You know, I Heather knows I tear up every... I've got it saved on one of my TikTok videos. Just sometimes you need a good cry about your dad. Um, but I love him. I can't change him. I can change me, right? And God's grace does that to me. Um, but it's hard every day not... Having that, you know, that your, de- your biological dad. But you know what? It's even better, though? And I know God's just like, here. He's given me other great men in my life. He's got, I've got Rob. I've got Hank. I know Hank and Rob have shown me tons of grace. I know they probably wanted to kill me a million times. But you know what? Having those two males in the last 16 years of my life has shown me what an actual father should be and how grace is given to people. It's, it's been an amazing journey with my dad, and hopefully I know I can, you know, keep going, and hopefully, you know, it's only God who's going to change him, right? I can't do it. But hopefully, and I pray every day that it'll, it'll work itself out. So, yeah, that's grace in my life. Sorry that was a little bit emotional, this one. <laughs> but thanks.
0: I know that if we were just to continue to share around this room, there would just be so many testimonies and testaments to God's grace. And that's real. That's real stuff. And uh, I just want to thank you, Lorraine, and thank you, Dustin, for being vulnerable um, in that way. I wasn't sure what to expect, uh, but I knew it was going to be good. But that's a reminder that, that we're, we're all in need of that grace no matter what our background is, our stories, um, what our relationships are like with our, our dads or, or parents or, or family members. And uh, yeah, just thanks for sharing that, guys. Just going to end with, with this quote from Brennan Manning. It says, to be alive is to be broken. To be broken is to stand in need of grace. It is only through grace that any of us could dare to hope that we could become more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for how amazing and how powerful, at times how confusing and shocking it could be that you would give that grace to us. I'm not sure that there is anything more powerful in the entire world than your grace, I thank you that many of us here have experienced that grace. And my prayer for us as we continue on into this week is that we'll, we'll live like it. We will, we'll live that grace out. Not only acknowledging that gift that you've given us and thanking you for it, but also extending it and sharing it to others, just like Dustin has been trying to do with his own father. And perhaps that can be really difficult for some of us in relationships that we have. Um, and, and experiences that we have with other people, Lord, it, it can be tough. But Lord, I just thank you for your grace, and I thank you for our time together. I thank you that you spoke to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, I do want to just end with saying that um, two things. One, if you do need prayer and, uh, and you like to pray, I'll be... I'm on one of the front pews, and if anybody else would like to, to come up to pray with people and, and join me, that would be great. But two, if you haven't experienced, if you found yourself here today and you haven't experienced God's grace in your life, you got to. You just have to. It's just so good. It's such a great gift. And so if, if you want to talk about that too, I'd love to talk to you. Alright my friends, have a great week. I'm heading out on vacation, experiencing grace. <laughs>